You're listening to Highly Unlikely. I'm Jonathan Flannis. You saw the woman standing on the porch and walking across by the window, and now you walk out there and the woman's not there. We began noticing activity in the house about a month after we moved in. And I know I'm alone in this building. We'd come home from my mother's house one night and had gone upstairs. And in the nursery, we'd had a lot of stuffed animals up on the shelves. And when I walked into the room, all the stuffed animals had been taken off the shelves and put in a circle on the floor with one teddy bear directly in the center. Uh, We put all the teddy bears back. We all went down the stairs together. By the time we hit the bottom stair and looked up, the light switch came on in the room. That took us by a little bit of surprise. We went back up the steps, opened the door, and the teddy bears were back on the floor. We put them back up again. We go back down the stairs, turn off the light. Sure enough, by the time we hit the bottom stair, the light's back on. So we go back up. This time, one teddy bear's off the shelf and placed right in that same spot. Scared us to death. At that point, I wonder what it does sound like here at night. So I set some digital tape recorders out in the shop and on playback the next day, based on the the amount of sound that we heard, I wasn't concerned about a haunting. I thought someone was breaking into the building. You could hear the chairs rolling across the floor, the phone ringing and nobody being on the end, toilets flushing, people getting tapped on the shoulder. They actually took the shape of a woman, not a nice looking woman. She, she reminded me of the store owner from Little House on the Prairie the, the, with the black lace collar. The uh, I remember a little brooch she was wearing. She started coming towards the bed. I wanted to scream, but I was so scared. I, I could, I've never been that scared in my life. I could not get a scream out. She come towards the bed. I have a tall boy dresser. The whole top part of the dresser lifts up and does a complete spin, slams down. At the same time, the door slams shut. As that happened, she reached towards me, and I hear, I'm gonna, and she disappeared. I don't think there's anything to this day that could scare me more than that scared me. Horrible looking face peering in from outside, and outside, there, there's nothing to stand on. It would have had to be floating in the air. And then he asked me, he says, don't you hear the pounding and the screams and the, the growls? That's why we move. Looked out the window for a minute, and as I turned around, standing right in front of the basement door, it's this little girl dressed in what I would call 18th century clothing. 
and she's right there, just as plain as day. I, I can, it, it's almost like I can reach out and touch her, but yet I can see through her because I can see the door behind her. It, it frightened me to hell. And I think one of the things I remember the most is the way she looked at me. It was like I was invading her world. I could almost see the whites in her eyes because she was just as scared of me as I was of her. Uh, we really didn't realize how serious the experiences were going to become. As time went on, these scratches seemed to increase. I remember times when I would just have blood start coming, scratches form on the forehead. I experienced things that I'll always remember and that changed my life forever. The 90s were a good time to be a kid. Instant messaging, Super Mario Kart, Kaiser's Jose, Cotton Eye Joe, Alrighty then. Chumbawamba, As If, Talk to the Hand, Smash Mouth, Mr. Freeze, Tyler Durden, Pete and Pete, I See Dead People, What's Up, Tamagotchis, Mom Jeans, Liam Gallagher, Donatello, The Word Spaz, and of course, I did it all for the Nookie. Which, as I'm recording this, might have been 2000? Whatever. The slacker generation was in full effect. I wasn't much of a TV kid. I spent most of my time trying to impress girls with my new yo-yo. But I did love one show, and even woke up early to watch an episode every day before school. The show was called Sightings. It was an investigative show that researched unexplained phenomena. UFOs, government conspiracies, and the paranormal. And of course, ghosts. I loved ghosts. I read books, watched ghost movies, went on ghost tours. I did it all. But one segment on an episode of Sightings was the most exciting thing I'd ever seen. It involved incredible experiences taking place at a small home in LA. A haunting like none I'd ever seen. I thought to myself and my brother, if only one day I can meet one of the residents to hear their incredible story. If only I could talk to them about life in California's most haunted house. If only. Today I talk with John Huckert, a filmmaker from LA, known for his films Hard, Strangers Online, and The Passing, and a resident of a unique home in Los Angeles. I'm an a independent guerrilla filmmaker. And by that, I mean that uh, not only am I independent, I'm guerrilla because um, I usually make no budget feature films. I've made, uh, I think, close to 90 films now. <laughs> I have a couple of cult films out there, which is kind of cool. The thing I do the most, I think, is write. I love writing. I've written 47 feature length screenplays, uh, TV pilots. I have a novel coming out and a uh, bunch of stuff, you know. Hollywood's a really tough town. And when you have no money in the family or family in the business, it's really hard to make it. I met uh, Ron Howard a, a few years back, uh, quite a few years back now, actually. And um, he was sitting at a table with uh, Rene Rousseau and a few other people, you know, and I kind of waved and I kind of motioned like, can I come over? And he said, sure. So I went over and I talked to him and I said, how would I 
as an independent filmmaker get a project to you because I, you know, I've been doing stuff for a while and he goes and in the nicest way possible, he says to me, um, give up. I don't mean anything mean by it, but he goes, unless you are already connected, you can't get in. But before John moved into the house that would change his life and my life, he'd already had his own encounters with ghosts. I had lived in a, a, a house back in Maryland that had a lot of activity in it. I thought for four years that it was just weird that people were slicing their wrists and things were flying around the room. And that, um, like, um, for example, we had a cat that had kittens and... This next quote is pretty intense, so just a little warning. Um, they were inside a locked room and we came back, all the kittens were dead. But not only were they dead, they were sliced in half and they had no blood. And we've never actually successfully figured out how that happened. But they were literally, it was like half of cats. Heavy content over. Things like the hot and cold water would switch just whenever they'd want to. They'd just switch. And suddenly there's steaming hot water coming out of the, the hose outside or whatever. Oh, you're washing dishes. In fact, it was so much when we redid the kitchen, we switched the hot and cold handles just so people go, wait a minute. And I said, be careful because you don't know what's going to come out of which one at any time. We had plumbers out. They couldn't figure out what was wrong uh, or how it was set up. Um, there were like um, bloody holes in the ceiling and we first paint and of course, then it would come through and we scrape and then it would come through and then we actually replaced the plaster replastered it repainted it a week later it's coming through We're like what is going on in this house my sister moved in lasted a month and moved out because when her kids were there things would f literally fly around the room it looked like a scene of poltergeist minus the record player <laughs> it was just stuff like a little like a little tornado of stuff in the middle of the room that was in the upstairs. Each bedroom had a specific thing that would go on in there. Not uncommon in haunted houses. But I, did, I didn't think of anything paranormal or anything. And I still don't know whether anything paranormal went on or not. But I remember I was taking a bath and uh, it was in the middle of the day. And the bathroom, um, the tub is so that it faces the door. And say when you're in the tub, you're what, six feet away from the door. And the doorknob starts turning back and forth slowly. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm calling out like everybody I can think of, you know, like so-and-so's home early or whatever. And I, they're very funny and all this stuff. And it just keeps going back and forth. I'm like getting a little nervous, so I get up and you know grab a towel and I'm watching it turn and then I grab the knob and I throw open the door and no one's there. Then I start turning the outside knob. And when you turn the outside knob, it doesn't turn the inside knob, it's separate. So something was turning the knob inside. My belief in ghosts up to that point was that ghosts are um, sort of like imprints on the landscape. 
And uh, so if someone sees one, it's kind of like an old tape recording and it will like you'll see it move across the room and maybe you'll see it over and over again for weeks or months or years. But it was like like the landscape recorded it and sometime when conditions are right, it kind of plays it back. And that was my belief up until what happened at our house. Then my belief system completely changed. John Huckert lives with another John, this one named John Mikowski. Mikowski's lived there since, I want to say, early 80s. He saw this like broken sign and so he got out of the car and looked up to the bushes and saw this like little cabin way up far away. And I walked in and I'm like, you could just, it was palpable, the, the atmosphere. It was like, if you are at all sensitive to things like that, you'll walk in and go, oh my, something's going on in this house. His own mother comes in and says, there's something going on in this house. And people had been seeing things for years. I moved in in, uh, I think it was 1990. It was when I was getting kicked out of my apartment and I was gonna be living out of my car. And he goes, I got a room here, just live here. And I've never left, I'm still there all these years later. We started doing research on the place and we went to the, well, I guess the Hall of Records and the land places and we looked up you know, surrounding areas. And we found out owners had had, uh, had it all the way back to, I think, 1918, I believe. I think that's right. Um, and there were three sisters that owned it and one was named Amelia. We'll come back to Amelia later. I don't think there was a first event. I know that when I was there right away, I, I started saying, I, I said, you know, there's things here, right? And, uh, and he goes, yeah, we always hear like people walking on the roof. So the Johns are experiencing some mild haunting activity. But at that point, a Polaroid camera enters the picture, and the world of ghosts is forever changed. So I had my dad's uh, Polaroid camera, well, my Polaroid camera he gave me, and uh, it was March of 92. And I was um, sitting, uh, working on one of the scripts on the, the uh, dining room table, and I just felt like like you feel when there's something there, and I th and I the camera was just sitting there, and I thought, oh my god, I'm going to snap a picture, I'm going to capture this thing, whatever it is. And I got up and I took a picture, and there was nothing on it, and I thought, oh my god, I got all worked up, I like you know got nervous and everything, thinking like, oh, I'm going to capture something. And then I thought, well, that's really silly. And I sat down and started working again. And then um, the bathroom door opened by itself. I remember thinking, oh my God, this is it. This is it. There's something there. And I got up and I grabbed the camera and I was literally shaking. And so much so that I, I snapped a picture. This is in the book, by the way. I snapped the picture of the top of the TV set. I'm like, okay, okay, calm down. This is ridiculous. And then I just stood there and calmed down and I took a picture and then I'm looking at it and this picture comes up and I'm like, like, oh my God, it's like a ghost, but it's like, it's screaming and its mouth is open and it's scary. And yet it's silly. It's almost cartoonish. Like what we expect a ghost to look like. He's not exaggerating when he says that. It's literally a ghost screaming, and it's really, really clear. 
my dad messed with this. He did something to the camera. He's a practical joker. I'm sure that there's some kind of thing. I think I took another couple pictures and they were kind of, I think Peter James called them bursts of spectral energy or ectoplasmic something or other. Peter James is a psychic from the show sightings, but we'll, we'll come back to him. Ectoplasmic energy is like this white, misty, cotton kind of shapes on ghost photographs that show up when ghosts are around. But John was catching more than just the ectoplasmic energy. He was catching full form ghosts. Super clear, not foggy, true, true ghosts. And they were really cool. And then I thought, you know, I'm going to show these to Mikowski when he gets home from work and see what he thinks. Um, so I remember uh, he, when he came home, I was just, I was like a little kid. I was like all giddy because I remember it was just so cool to think about. I mean, even if it was a practical joke, they're really cool. You know what I mean? So uh, finally I said, I got something to show you. Remember I was always telling you I was going to, you know, capture this thing? I did. And, and so I showed him the picture and he's like, oh my God, these are so cool. How did you do this? I said, well, I took a picture of the thing. And he goes, well, go over there. Let me take a picture of you. So I went over and I, he took a picture of me. And there's all the stuff, the ectoplasmic stuff. And, uh, and then while we were like watching it develop, the bathroom door opened again with both of us there. I was like, oh my God, it did it again. But Mikowski was witnessing it. So I grabbed the camera and took a picture. And then I got this thing. It looks like almost like a mummy or something. Um, it's kind of hovering and glowing and stuff. I just love that picture. So I took another um, picture and it was of another weird ghosty looking thing that looked silly and scary at the same time. But I felt like it was coming at me. So I, I took a bunch of pictures. I don't even remember how many. I took a few of them. And then when they developed, there's movement in them like it, it was coming at me. Not only are occasionally people seeing things, now we actually have it on film. And we took a bunch of pictures for like about three months. And I remember at that point, we thought, you know, we really should share this with somebody because we weren't telling anybody for one, because it was just so weird. And we kept trying to think there's something else going on. But then after we kept getting them, we thought we should invite some friends over. So we invited over Rick and our neighbor across the street, Heidi, and uh, our friend Ross. And we started showing him the pictures and said, this is going on in our house. We're all there and we're looking at the pictures and Rick, I believe it was Rick said, is he here now? And um, somebody else grabbed a picture. And of course the ectoplasmic stuff came up and uh, we're looking at it. And Rick says, I noticed it first, but I thought Rick noticed it first because I talked to him about it not too long ago. But there was, um, it looked like it had a word or something. As I remember, you could see partial words or partial letters, and then we finally figured out it said yes. So when you look at the picture, this cloud of white clearly forms the word yes. Oh my God, that is a whole different thing than an imprint on the landscape because it's answering. That's right. The Johns can now talk to the ghost. I th oh, I think the first one was what's your name? I think. And it said, right.
That's right, spelled W-R-I-G-H-T. And then someone said, are you a good ghost or a bad ghost? And it said, friend. And I've seen the photo. It just says friend in this beautiful cotton white writing. Questions just started flying and we're like, oh my God, this thing is talking to us. What would you ask a ghost? And of course, people would buy film and come over and we'd start talking. But uh, we got, I don't know, maybe a couple dozen pictures. And that was when John saw the sightings episode. Within days of them finding out, they called us up and they sent two producers over the house. And, uh, you know, we're showing them the pictures and they're like, wow, this is really fascinating. And then they took a couple of pictures and they got some stuff. And then um, then more producers came over and then we we're invited to lunch. And then I remember at one point we were over at the offices of off Wilshire and um, we were sitting out in the lobby and we heard them in talking. Um, they didn't know we were there yet, I guess. And they said something like, we finally found one that's real. That they did. They were telling us some of the crazy people that would call up. They said they had this one call from this guy who said, I took a dump and the stuff in the toilet is in the exact same shape as Elvis. Do you want to see it or should I just flush? And they said, flush. My shit looks like Elvis. You ain't nothing but a- We went from being a segment to being the entire show. I think we were the first and maybe the only episode, the entire episode was spent on us. Then they wanted to do an hour long live episode from the house broadcast by satellite across the country. Next, mysterious photographs imprinted with unnerving messages. We'll explore the possibilities in our incredible case study. Is this just an elaborate hoax? We'll talk to the experts. Physically, I don't know how they could do that. In this hillside home in Southern California, John Metkowski and John Huckert are not alone. You snap one of these things, and when you start asking questions, it starts answering. I don't know how to explain how bizarre that feels. That's John speaking. He told us his name was Wright. And we were like, uh-huh, we still didn't believe it. So we'd ask him if he was a good ghost or bad ghost, and he answered friend. That's the voice of John Mikowski. Over a hundred shots were taken. Some scrawled with words that didn't make sense until Metkowski discovered it was Latin. We have asked him if he, if he died in his house and his answer was in Latin, he answered that um, among other things, he did die in his house. So sightings comes over, and to maintain credibility, they get all these specialists, these photo specialists, they get all these cameras to take control tests, and just all that. Four new cameras are brought in. Fresh film from Polaroid is examined, logged, then loaded into the cameras. With a video crew documenting the event, the first questions are asked. Are most spirits good spirits or bad spirits? There are numerous remedial lemurs. Uh, In Roman mythology, the night-walking spirits of the dead. Hello. (laughs) That's right, answering in Latin. 
The film was examined before and after to make sure that no tricks were used to create the shots. Uh, these were shots that were taken today. Uh, a few minutes ago, they were shot and came out of Polaroid. I actually watched them eject out of the Polaroid. If they can write on Polaroid film while it's inside a camera, uh, what else can they do? I mean, what next? The, it's really, it reaches to the outer limits of our imagination. Confident that there was no natural explanation. I mean, it was spectacular because you could just snap and snap and snap. Now they had uh, two people watching it and everything was on cameras and they, you know, every roll of film that came out was marked and labeled and cataloged and stuff. And obviously they wanted to track it and everything. Yeah, he would speak Latin frequently. Wright kept answering question after question. But then it would get down to like whole like paragraphs or whatever, or, you know, like big blocks of, you know, writing. And so we started getting Latin dictionaries and stuff, and we'd piece together what we thought it meant and stuff like that. Um, so that was interesting. You'd ask every question you could possibly think of, you know, what's the meaning of life? And, you know, we asked, where do you go when you're not here? And he said, flux. So he goes into the flux, whatever that is. And when he says answers, he means on the photographs, there is ghost writing that says flux. It's incredible, incredible stuff. We don't know if it's a he. We've always just assumed it. We also think Wright might be his last name. So apart on any show like this, they have to invite a psychic there. And they invited this time legendary psychic Peter James. They don't tell him anything. They just have him come in. And he started naming off people right away, like Amelia and Gilbert and Stefan, people that had lived there, you know, years and years and years ago. And we had just found out this information. How is it possible? I mean, yeah, it's possible, but it's highly unlikely that he knew all this stuff. That's when I started thinking there's something to it. He also said that he didn't think this was real. I thought, good, he's super skeptical. And then he started picking up stuff and then he started getting pictures and then they just started going from there. So in this situation, they don't tell Peter James anything about where he's going. He has no idea what city he's going to. He has no idea anything. And they fly him out and just take him to the house. And the guy just immediately starts naming people that died there and just things he really shouldn't know. They brought in a giant box of Polaroid film. And uh, we had uh, we brought over some friends that had experiences with it before. Um, and uh, they got a bunch of photographs. And uh, they came back again, got more photographs. They came back again. The ghost was answering questions photo after photo. How many photographs do you guys need? So the Johns have a kid named Ionis that they raised in the house. Ionis um, grew up there. And um, his very first word when he was, well, maybe a year old, I guess, I know, you know, when they first start speaking, he was standing in the place where the dead body's supposed to be. And he pointed to the hallway and he pointed and he went, ghost. He'd never said a word in his life. And he says, ghost. And I remember it took my breath away and I went, what? And he goes, ghost. His first and second words ever spoken. He didn't know any of this existed until he was 16 because we did not want to imprint upon him anything. 
he would see things. He'd see families and ask me about the family standing there. And I said, I don't see them, but what do you see? And he goes, they're standing there looking at me. And I said, are, are they threatening? He goes, no, they're smiling. I said, well, smile back or whatever. And he would, things like that would happen to him. He'd see people on the porch. He'd see people in the house. But before he was 16, we didn't want him doing any shows or anything um but we told him if he wants to talk about it feel free to you know and he can tell his experiences so uh hulu and disney and um, david ono from abc they're doing a documentary on the house a feature documentary the house is a number of different types of ghosts poltergeist is when uh things move and yeah. things like that yeah. and there's also um as i said the hugging uh, and that happens once or twice a week, easily. You'll be sitting there and all of a sudden someone come and just squeeze your arm. But it's always comforting. It's, it's more like if someone came behind you and touched you and you go, oh, hi. It's not scary anymore. Back when it first happened, it was like, you'd like freeze. There's like something putting your arms around you and literally no one's within 20 feet of you. And, and it's not like when you look, they disappear. You still feel it. I mean, it's not like a quick thing. It goes on 5, 10, 20 seconds or whatever. And it's, um, you know, it'll, it'll uh, squeeze your leg or squeeze your arm or whatever. At this point in the interview, I point to a particular ghost photo. Is that the woman in the, the dress on the porch? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we think that might be Amelia. I've seen her quite a lot also walking down by the gate, like walking across the fence. And it's just so weird because she's completely real looking. I just can't figure out how she moves because she walks across in front of the gate. She's wearing something that looks like from the prairie or something. I mean, it's clearly no one dresses like that now. But she comes up on the porch. We see her coming up the path. I do. I don't know if Mikowski's ever seen her. Mikowski sees a guy dressed in red who walks across the room. And every time he's like, did you invite somebody over to do construction on the house? Because it looks like a construction worker. And I'm like, no. And he said, that guy in the red jacket who just, you know, like, John, no one's here. There's different people that you'll see outside, which is uh, still goes on to this day. I mean, last night, uh, somebody saw a man standing and um, I won't go into all the details, but they're just people that are there and you see them and then they're just not. It's really interesting. And people who don't believe have seen them too. That's what I find fascinating. And you will try to tell them what they are and they're like, no, they must have run down to the gate or something. I'm like, okay. The dogs bark if a lizard runs by, much less another dog or a person or a squirrel or anything else. Nobody can get up that path, and it's a long path, without the dogs being aware. So you're telling me you saw the woman standing on the porch and walking across by the window, and now you walk out there and the woman's not there. You also get embraced or touched, all kinds of stuff. Goosed, you get goosed sometimes, which is really shocking. You're walking up the path and you get goosed. And literally, there's no one within 100 feet of you. <laughs> In the last, like, I'd say two months, I keep hearing my name being called. 
I heard it last night. I heard it a few nights before that. And they just say, John. And there's no, and, uh, there's no one there. And I've asked uh, John a couple times if he heard anything or whatever. But I don't have anybody to associate it with. So either someone's dying or someone died or I don't know what it is. The only time I tend to hear people is uh, usually after they've passed, and it's usually somebody I know. My niece was in one of my films, and she was in the opening credit sequence, and she was very funny and very excellent, and it took a few years to make this film. I had just gotten the, it got a brief theatrical, and then it was coming out on DVD. This was in 2011, maybe. Um, and. Um, I was so happy that it was done, and I couldn't wait to send her a DVD so she could see herself in the movie. And then she disappeared. And I got a call, like, from my nieces and everybody, my sister, and they're saying, we don't know where she is. Uh, they told me the circumstances behind her disappearing. So I started looking on Google Maps and focusing and all the stuff, and I saw something, and I called my sister, and I said... There's a car. It's under this bridge. I told her where it was and everything. I said, there's a car under the bridge. I think that's her in the car. And go right now or whatever. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Um, this is one thing that gets me sometimes. Um, anyway. So they uh, sent the police out. And... Uh, can you give me a second? Can we just pause? For... Oh, shit. She had died. Houses that are haunted don't necessarily need to have tragedy happen in them. It's possible that you can have a house that's haunted where nothing's happened. Maybe it's free-floating. I don't know, and I'm certainly no expert on it. The ghosts are a part of John's everyday life. Stuff happens in the house um, daily. You get to a point where you don't know if it's a raccoon on the roof or there's something getting your attention. Peter James said, um, uh, Amelia uh, is there at the house. And we found out she's one of the three sisters that own the property. So after the word spread around the country of this incredible house, you had celebrities like Oprah and other people want to come stay at the house and film and sightings had to come back. Next on Unexplained Mysteries, new developments in the ghostwriting case. I guess I was a little curious and I said, well, can you take a picture? A psychic makes a disturbing revelation. Peter James tells us about a dead body that he claims is buried under the house. And we'll reveal more secrets about this remarkable haunting. Whatever is on the Polaroid. That's the voice of famous psychic Peter James. It is their way of saying, uh, pay attention, this is how we're communicating with you. I didn't believe in ghosts for the longest time. That's John again. And my experiences have taught me differently. It's bigger than, than what anybody could ever imagine. And finally, we'll dissect the evidence in our next report. 
probably the most common ghost that John sees visually is the ghost of Amelia. I've seen her dozens and dozens of times. Usually it's coming up the path or down at the bottom of the hill, which is far. So you'd see her and you think, okay, that's weird. But when she was on the porch, the dogs aren't barking. It's a ghost on your porch. I'm like, someone's here. I immediately go and open the door and there's no one on the porch. There's nowhere for her to go. There's no way she could, there's nothing to duck behind to be hiding from me. She's just not there. My aunt, when she died, I sat up and I heard her go, Johnny? Just like that. Uh, I said, John, I think my aunt just passed. And he goes, what time is it? And he wrote down everything, you know, because uh, it was like the middle of the night. And, uh, and then the next day, um, I got a call that my aunt had passed in the middle of the night. And I say everything with a little skepticism, because even after all this, it sounds weird to say it sometimes, you know? It's also weird to see it. But when you've seen it this many times, you um, the key to it all to me is validation. When you have someone like Peter James validating you, you have other people seeing it. Uh, when you have someone come running out from the bathroom saying, someone just hugged me and there's nobody there. I'm like, oh no, you're fine, you're fine. It happens, and it happens a lot. John's experiences in the house completely changed the way he sees life and death. Like, I don't want to die anytime soon, but it it erased 95% of my fear of death. We have lots of people we know that don't know about it. Eventually, they probably will if they watch TV enough. But it's we don't talk about it on a... We might amongst ourselves say, oh, did you see so-and-so or did you feel that or whatever. But it's not the kind of thing where, um, like, you know, especially when you meet people, you just get to know them. Um, you don't, like, say, oh, by the way, I live in a haunted house. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, the UPS guy found out. He recognized me from one of the shows. And he said, oh, my wife and I, we just love it. I said, please don't tell anybody where we live. And he's been really good. John definitely understands skepticism. I'm not out to convince anybody of anything. Your belief system is your own, uh, and you know everyone has their own belief system. If it relates to ours and you get something from it, that's great. I asked John why he thinks Wright communicates with them. We've asked him that. He'll say a number of things. He'll say to help, or I'm here to help, help you, or whatever. And he certainly has. Like, I wish he had money or I wish he had connections. <laughs> but the thing is, it's not ever been about that. It's been about creating. And now it's out. And now there's another book coming out. And then there's a movie coming out. And then I'm doing this podcast. And I'm doing another podcast next week. It's changed my life in a number of different ways. Um, it's inspired me to work creatively. Uh, I got over my fear of flying completely, which honestly, I didn't think that would ever, ever, ever be possible. But I did, and I went through a process to do it, but it worked. Um, my fear of dying has changed dramatically. 
you know, sometimes you suddenly start thinking about it and you panic, you know. Uh, I haven't had that in years and I don't want to die anytime soon, but I'm not as afraid of it. And I just, I feel like in some ways I'm at a creative peak right now, more so than ever. And, you know, I'm getting old, but I don't feel it. Thank you.